Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about video games, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. And I'm Christy Vogler. And today we're digging up Hades, a roguelike action dungeon crawler created by Supergiant Games and released in 2020. And also joining us today, something we've been sort of biting our tongues, holding back, but we're really excited with a wonderful special guest, Dr. Donna Zuckerberg, founder and editor-in-chief of Eidolon, also recently published author of Not All Dead White Men. Okay, make sure I got, I, I read the book, like I should know this. <laughs> yep, that's the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, so recently published anymore. <laughs> it came out in 2018. We're all in, we're in strange times and everything is, mm. you know, 2010 is to me recently published. Fair right enough. <laughs> Recently published in Korean. That's new. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But we're joined here today by Donna Zuckerberg, and who really excited. And we're, we've been meaning to talk about this game for basically since it came out. I know Christy and I have been talking about it. I've been trying to get Eli to play it. We'll follow up. <laughs> but we'll start first with, with Donna. And yeah, do you dig this game? And, and how did you first come to Hades? I dig everything about this game. Although the first time I played it, I actually bounced off of it. I, I tried it about, uh, I guess it wasn't quite a year ago because the game only came out about a year ago, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably earlier in 2021, I tried it and I don't play a lot of action RPGs of this sort, at least not top down ones. So I found the perspective a little bit weird. I am more used to sort of like the Breath of the Wild, you know, sort of back behind the the main character view or roguelikes that... I play a lot of roguelikes. Most of them are deck builders. So yeah, I can I can talk extensively about the roguelike genre. I good, because yes, that's oh, good. also gonna Great. Can't wait to get into that. So I knew that this game should be my jam, but for some reason the first time I tried it, it I just sort of bounced off of it because the the dodging the enemy's hits was, was something that I couldn't get into. But then I decided to give it another try and I just I fell in love. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I I love everything about it. And mostly, if I had to narrow it down to the top three things, it would be, you know, the art, the voice acting, and the sort of playful approach to antiquity. Um, Yeah, so I have my own personal player to do the dodging and hitting for me. So that was very advantageous where I knew that Hades was coming out in 2020. And that was one of the things that my partner Andy and I were like, oh, that's something cool and nerdy we could stream together because he will talk about all of the gaming aspects and like what's a good build and everything like that. And I would talk about the kind of classical reception that was happening in the background. So I got to brush up on Orphism and all of that jazz, which was pretty fun. I was in the Oxford Classical Dictionary today reading up on Orphism. <laughs> yeah, you can see that. You see my, my backdrop here. Well, we can go back to that later. But. Yes. Oh, I saw that yeah. too when you shared that one. I was like, oh, that's such an inside joke. And you have to be really into Greek myth to even kind of understand it, which was impressive. Like, I always appreciate people who are making classical material easily accessible to a new generation of people who may have not seen it before, but then still have something like very Easter egg for the people who have loved it and studied it for years. So I thought that was a really cool part of the game. Should I describe what we're talking about for yes, listeners? Go for we're it. Talking yes, about please. It, an mm-hmm. image that they're not actually seeing. Yeah, so the main character of the game is Zagreus, the son of Hades and mild spoilers here for the game, Persephone. But for, for people who are more coming to this from a place of reading 
classical literature as opposed to video games, they're more likely to know Zagreus, Zagreus' name as Dionysus Zagreus, a specific version of Dionysus from the Orphic mystery cult, where Dionysus was torn apart and then reborn, sort of an early Jesus figure, you might say. Or a late Osiris. If we're late Osiris, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I like that. And yeah, there's a lot of Dionysus and Osiris overlap even outside of the Zagreus myth, which is, is a very niche myth, right? The Orphic mysteries, where you know this is a mystery cult, and Greek religion broadly sort of falls into two spheres. There's the worship of the gods, which was opt out at your risk, you know, at extreme risk, <laughs> as many myths tell the story of. And the mystery cults, which were opt in and get a better afterlife, question mark. So having this game, which is all about the afterlife, bring in this element from a mystery cult is just so you know, chef's kiss. And I think that so the, the moment that I that is in my my backdrop here is when Dionysus, one of the Olympian gods, tells Zagreus that they should play a prank on Orpheus and tell him that they are actually the same person. And it it just it blew my mind. It was. It was the nerdiest, most classics mythology in-joke that I could imagine seeing in a video game that was this successful. I love it. It's so I just good. had a comment. Like, I, I went to a Catholic wedding a few years ago, and it had been a long time since I'd sat through anything. And it was the, the rehearsal, and the priest was talking about uh, Jesus's first miracle of like going to a wedding and turning water into wine. And I was just sitting there like, wait, he's Dionysus? Why did no one tell me? <laughs> and then the priest ripped apart the groom and put him back together. Yeah, and, uh, that would have yeah. been great. I would have been much more entertained at that point. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of Dionysus and Jesus stuff though, right? With mm -hmm. the, the being born of a mortal woman and, and she's got this. I think that definitely has a lot of Mary parallels. Definitely. There's a whole, I, I remember learning about this, I took a Euripides seminar in grad school, but there's a whole, somebody like rewrote the Baki, a play by Euripides about Dionysus coming to town and, and convincing all of his followers to rip up the king. That's the sort of the TLDR version. There's more to it, but <laughs> but the, somebody like rewrote the Baki to be like a, a Christ story or something like that. Like they took all the lines and just rearranged them or something like that to be like about Jesus. I'm not that. sure exactly how that works, but... Yeah, that's, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about and it's at the tip of my tongue. I'm sorry. But yes, that's, I think it's it's interesting to bring in tragedy here a little bit as well, because the the only source for Zagreus, son of Hades and Persephone, appears to be a fragment of Aeschylus Sisyphus and the scolion on it, which again, real deep gut classics nerd stuff. Eli, you're also the one I'm most curious to hear from, because <laughs> last I checked... Eli is a neophyte. She is uninitiated in the mysteries, so she has to be led through blind. That's that's really exactly what I felt like, though, this week. I am not a big video game person. I never have been. It was just like not part of my childhood, and it has never been something that I was terribly interested in becoming better at. Like, perhaps to my own detriment, I, like, I realized it's a personal fault. <laughs> and so I watched a lot of playthroughs of this and I watched a lot of the the storylines uh, and did a lot of research on like the development. So I still have not played 
this game. So I feel like an imposter sort of being on the podcast talking about it. But I am so intrigued, I think is the word, because there's so much about this that I love and that I think is so cool. And so I do dig this and I am actually tempted to try to play it, which says a lot. <laughs> for me. We should start a Twitch stream for you, Eli. <laughs> oh God, I would be so embarrassing. That. It would be so embarrassing. <laughs> well, th that's like kind of the beauty of this game, I think, is like, I mean, first of all, my sort of disclaimer the, is, is this game slaps, but everything that Donna said, the art, the design, the music, the aesthetic, and like my sort of thesis statement on this game is that it's kind of this amazing blend where like sort of source material meets medium meets execution where like the, the the myth that they bring in reinforces the the style of the video game and the way they tell the story and like this is this kind of story you could i think only tell in a game like this you know you couldn't make a movie out of hades or if you could it would be hobbled in a lot like it, it wouldn't be the same as that that experience where the mechanics of the game the sort of living dying doing it again and again is a way to tell the story and also draws upon so sort of richly this tradition. And I think I had a larger point I was building to, but yeah, um, well, that, I, I think. That comes to sort of a question that I have for those of you who do play this game is sort of what is it about the medium of it being so interactive and it being a video game versus something like, I don't want to say fan fiction because I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. I mean that in like the best way. Yeah. First of all, nothing against fan fiction. Yeah. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. Love me. All classical fiction. literature, as we established last week, is, is fan, fan fiction. fiction. This is yes. true. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is it about? Several articles about that topic. On that one. <laughs> um, yes. I think that, so I think this sort of goes back to the, the genre we're literature scholars, or some of us are literature scholars. Are you guys all literature scholars? Archaeologists. Archaeology. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Well, but I'm here for it. Helen and I are literature scholars, and the rest of you have had to deal with a lot of- Our bullshit. <laughs> yes. You know, Aristotelian <laughs> bucketing <laughs> texts into increasingly smaller genre buckets. So so this game is a roguelike game. Technically, it's a roguelite game, which means that it's built around runs and you are not expected to win every run you know often you die and you start back at the beginning and in roguelite version you then get persistent currency in this game it's it's the darkness and gems and and then you know some sort of higher value currency like titan's blood later on that you use to unlock upgrades that will then make higher level more successful runs available later on and this is just, it's just a super fun genre of game in general. I, there are tons of roguelikes that I really like. And what makes this one really special is how dying works. Now, normally as you progress through a roguelike, you get more persistent currency. So you unlock more things, you know, as you, as you get further, you know, you're, you level up or whatever, and you, you unlock more abilities or your weapons get stronger or whatever it is, you get more health. And then it, later runs you have more options or it's a little easier but with this game every time you die you end up back in the house of hades which for those of you who are not listening and are probably pretty confused by this point i guess <laughs> about what we're talking about uh the game is all about zagreus trying to escape from the house of hades and you learn pretty on that it's because he wants to meet his long-lost mother persephone and all the people in the house of hades well, the gods in the house of hades and sort of deity-like figures are a little bit 
skeptical of his plan and some are pretty offended by it because they love him and are upset that he's trying to leave them behind. Um, no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, personally, I, I hear that there is a there's a polyamorous option later on that I've not I've not seen the scene for yet. But and I really love how every time you die, you are, go back to the House of Hades and your storyline and your interactions with the characters progressive. So you can only sort of have one conversation with them each time you're there. And then you have to go out, try to escape again, die, come back or succeed, come back and have another conversation. And your relationship with them can only progress through the run. So that's one thing that makes it really satisfying. Sometimes in other games, when you have a run that's going really well and it fails to click sort of two thirds to three quarters of the way through, it's so disappointing that you just want to scream. But with this game, because there are sort of rewards to dying, you get to start to see how the threads are coming through. You know, oh, will I be able to, spoiler, reunite Orpheus and Eurydice? You know, and, and you can only find out if you die. So. Yeah. And it also, it varies because every time, so like this is one of the other, like the things about a rogue game or roguelike is like, whereas like a game like Mario or Mega Man or something like that, every level is the same every time and people, you know, perfect it. Like the same Goomba walks out at exactly the same time in the same way. But in the roguelike, it's sort of a little bit randomly generated. Like the, the rooms you go into are not necessarily going to be the same every time the enemy's in there. And in this game, particularly the abilities you get, which manifest in different gods come down and give you their respective powers, and it's random. So there's a bit of randomness, like you have to change your strategy every time you go through based on what abilities you get. But then also the the story changes on the, these random variables, because like you might have a chance of running into Eurydice on your run. It's not guaranteed you might do it. And then when you come back after that... Orpheus is going to have something different to say or somebody else. And like the things that people say when you get back to the House of Hades is different depending on what happened during your run. And even the most basic thing is uh, Hypnos is the first, basically the first person you see when you come out of the pool. Usually he's just kind of hanging out right there. And he's, he's essentially like this like clerk. He's like checking in the shade, but always sleeping on the job because he's Hypnos the manifestation of sleep it was so cool yeah and, and so but he'll say stuff like oh like the minotaur got you or like the though you were killed by this enemy that's a like maybe you should try yeah. dodging killed and by redacted? he just relentlessly dunks on you for however you died like hmm, looks like you died on some spikes have you tried not standing on the spikes <laughs> i have died on spikes and, and then there's something like 22,000 lines of dialogue in this game, basically, that they wrote to sort of anticipate all these different combinations because you might meet characters in a certain order, you know, based on that random chance. Uh, Zagreus himself, who was voiced by Darren Korb, who also did the music and the voice editing and, and the, the sound mixing. Yeah, excellent. he did. He voiced Zagreus and Skelly. And, but that he alone has something like <laughs> about 9,000 lines of dialogue. And then I think the next most character is Hades, who has about a thousand. Mm. And that's voiced by uh, Logan Cunningham, I believe. I have all the credits right here, uh, who won a uh, Game Awards for this performance. One of the things that was always really funny to me, because I, like I said, I was watching Andy play and Andy would say something and then Zagreus would come in right behind that and say almost the exact same thing. And so I started to get creeped out after a while being <laughs> like, hmm, who am I? engaged to exactly <laughs> and should i be one <laughs> that sounds great though it's like somebody actually playing and like actually thinking the things out loud that's cool yeah well and he was coming at it without the greek mythology background which was really interesting in terms of 
I understand all the dynamics. So one of my favorite things is that sometimes there are gods who have natural conflict between the two. And so sometimes you actually have to fight over which power you're going to take. And I would like point out, like, it never clicked for Andy why you would have to fight over these powers sometimes. I'm like, oh, I can explain exactly why those two are at it right now. And that was really fun to point. I love that dynamic. I thought mm-hmm. that, yeah, the trial of the gods dynamic with the, the like, the, the speed with which the god gets furious that you didn't choose them and immediately retaliates. And then the speed with which the god gets over it and says, oh, no, we're all good now, just seemed to me to be so consonant with the pettiness and capriciousness of the gods from everything that we see in myth. So that I thought was so on the nose. Yeah, I got a... So later in the game, if you have certain boons from from two different gods, you can get duo boons, which combine them. And sometimes when you pick up the duo boons, the two gods will actually talk. And the other day I got one with Athena and Artemis, which was apparently my first time getting... It was my first time getting the conversation between the pair. I've gotten Athena and Artemis duo boons before. But they had nothing to say to each other. <laughs> yeah, Athena, Athena says something along the lines of... So I guess one of my siblings is also helping you. And then Artemis says something like, yeah, I'm not really sure why we're doing this here. And then, you know, they, they just have nothing, which I thought was really funny in a way, because, you know, there are, there are not a lot of myths that involve the two of them. There are sort of resonances as very different virgin goddesses, but. Oh, so I mean, there's so many things I want to like, just to get into it, I had something I wanted to say about the mechanics, but I, I, it's it's escaped my mind. But mostly just this game is really good. I was going to say this game is really good about avoiding, like Donna said, you, you first bounced off to it. Like it's a very common feeling when you play video games to sort of rage quit or like, you know, you, you fail at something so many times and you get super frustrated and you drop the game. And I bounce off of games pretty hard for, you know, sometimes that reason. And because the, the impetus behind this was, the previous game uh, Supergiant Games made was called Pyre, and it had all these branching narratives where there's, depending on the choices you made of the game, there was like a bajillion different endings, but they were finding that the players were actually only playing it through once. So they wanted to find a way to sort of encourage multiple playthroughs to explore all the different possibilities. And then they stumbled on, or not stumbled upon, they conceived of the idea of doing something like Greek mythology and it being, originally it was going to be called Minos and it was going to be in the labyrinth with the Minotaur and Theseus. And then they sort of, and particularly the, the sort of creative director, Greg Kasavin, kind of found that idea, like basically they run into this problem that we were talking about on our prior episodes, that heroes like Theseus or Perseus or Jason very quickly run the risk of becoming a bit bland very quickly, you know, because they're these kind of baseline prototype heroes. And then also they couldn't find a way to sort of incorporate the, the dying, redying. So then Kasabin comes with kind of this character of Zagreus and realizes that there's more or less a blank slate. You know, we have some Orphic texts and some vague references to some myths. And it's loosely connected to this Persephone myth, maybe, which is kind of the perfect sort of canvas to kind of work this narrative. And then it becomes essentially like if you've ever played Diablo, where the premise of that game is you try to go down into hell and you're trying to get further down into hell every time, this is the reverse of Diablo. You're trying to get up out of hell. But also, I was going to say, hell falls into different... The kind of schema is like hell... There's basically three levels of... Or I guess four levels of hell. You start in Tartarus, then you go to Asphodel, then you go into Elysium, and then you are, I guess, at kind of at the gates. And there's a different sort of boss associated with each level. 
Yeah, I mean, that, and that three-act structure is very classic for roguelikes. So mm-hmm. the game that I think is often attributed with the beginning of the roguelike renaissance that we're seeing now is a game called Slay the Spire, which mm-hmm. is a deck builder. Uh, and it, it has the same three-act structure with a boss at the end of the at the end of each act, although there are a few different options for bosses there, which which you do ultimately see at least you you sort of see it right there you you see you see the different furies and you see different versions of learny right there there's mm-hmm. the learny that spits the the laser arcs at you and the learny that spits the has the bone spurs that turns little skeletons different iterations of the same basic mechanic though but yeah do we want to talk about the furies the furies are the furies Let's are fantastic megara i think is one of the it is also probably my favorite character she's so fully fleshed the uh where i'm just i'm looking at my notes of oh uh avalon penrose is the voice actor <laughs> part of it i think for me is just just megaro's voice like gets under your skin or something like that it's like there's something so magnetic about the whole thing which also makes sense because there's also that element is that you can romance megaro as you sort of progress through the game and so it's got that like there's that dual edge to your relationship where Megara, because I think you also start off as Zagreus is that you're, you've effectively had a, a, you've broken up. Like you start off as exes, which is in many ways like a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminded me of the breakup between Zuko and um, uh, May. May. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's very much that dynamic of like, you're so great together and yet so terrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And part of and i think at every level the the theme that this game really plays off of and i think which is really kind of so brilliant about the storytelling is that this game is really about family like the meta or the mega excuse me the mega arc is zagreus sort of reconnecting his family because the sort of larger plot that plays out is him reconciling hades and persephone and the olympians but then at the micro level there's all these different family sub dynamics that plays out and megara is one of them where you're kind of learning the relationship between megara and her various sisters and we sort of find out that her other sisters aren't even let into Hades' house because they're... They're very difficult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> one can, one any, only ever says murderer. <laughs> honestly, any run where I see Electo, I'm like, come on! <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and is usually has the same reaction as you. And I was like, oh, I was hoping for the other one. Anyone else. <laughs> Literally any other one. <laughs> any, any of the other ones. Yeah. Not Electo and her spinny, spinny razor of doom. Yeah, I'm making, I'm making it sound like I'm bad at this game. I actually am. I'm, I'm pretty decent at this game, guys. I I've, wrote down my yeah. stats to brag about later, but oh, yeah, we can share that for the no. no later. But actually, I started a new game just earlier this week, and I was suffering because I like only I'd, I'd gotten pretty far in one, and then I came back. And I'm like, oh right, the beginning is hard again. <laughs> and then just yeah. last night, on like a whim, I picked it up after not playing for a few days, and then. I had yet to get past like Fury, and then just on this, on, like Don was saying, I just all the stars aligned, and I made it through the, uh, I made it through Electo on the, uh, and then the uh, Hydra, and then I made it about halfway through Elysium, just on like one like big run, uh, and it felt really good. I think because Andy did a fresh save file as well, and um, surprisingly, he got to. He actually got to Theseus in Elysium, and I didn't think I thought he was going to die for sure at the Furies because oh, wow. like. That's a gamer for you, I guess. So that was very impressive yeah, as far as I could tell. That's impressive. No, I, I only started playing this game like, I don't know, a month and a half ago. So yeah, but I've, I've been thinking about starting a fresh save file. I'm, I'm concerned. This game is beloved by speedrunners, as you could understand, of, of people that really like to sort of perfect 
this kind of thing. And then as I learned, there's different kinds of speed runs, like ones where you can have access to all your late game things or but then the fresh save files, you just start a new fresh game and then on your very first run, see if you can get through to the end. And I watched a guy on his first sort of totally blank slate get all the way to the end in 25 minutes, which is just insane. We, we learned was, something from the, that, actually. The fresh save speedrunning record is. I'm sure it's under 20 minutes. It's something like that. They, they, so yeah. I also learned the creators, um, Amir Rao and, and Greg Kasavin, who are the sort of directors of the game, were sort of commenting on this file. And they were saying that their best runs were something like 20 minutes. And then the best player on their team, like in Supergiant Games, is Darren Korb, the music and voice actor. And he, he had a, apparently, he has a 12 minute run or something like that. Wow. Do you know what, what, what aspect of what weapon? I do not. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm, I'm curious myself. Yeah. Speedrunners seem to really love the versions of the weapons that move you around the room a lot. So Mm. like aspect Mm -hmm. of Beowulf on the shield and aspect of Achilles on the spear. I think I really like the Gilgamesh one, the one that gives you like, like, like lion Uh paws. I really like that one. I also, I also am partial to the gloves, but I like the magnetic cutter, Uh the aspect of Talos. We, we like, um, we call them the fist of fury. That's, that's the move most of the time. I call them the, I call them the fists of much wailing upon. Oh, that's good. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's your move. You just get in there and wail on them, right? Well, and the thing with the speed run we learned, and I thought that was quite adorable, is like you have the option to hug Hades when he's doing one of his attacks and you don't take damage and you actually are like, you can do damage to him. And I'm like, oh, we just learned something new. You should hug your dad and you <laughs> might be him in this I have fight. not managed to make that move work perfectly. I, tr- I saw you? it. I tried I it. Tried, I tried, but it is hard. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't work for me, but I'm not that good, so... That's wild. But if you just get a good enough Athena build up, you can basically just stand next to him and take it. (laughs) (laughs) Eli, I think you had something, and then I had had a question for the group. So one of the things that I I read about in, like, people reviewing this game is that just the strange combination of different boons and, like, abilities and bonuses that you can have varies so much that it could literally like you surprise yourself in how far you could get with something that you may not think is that great like are there some where you if you take damage then you can deal more damage which sounds like a D metric there's there's <laughs> all uh, this is basically my my question i was going to ask is what all of our favorite sort of combinations of weapons and, and gods and things and particularly what gods we really like the most oh yeah because each god kind of has their own different flavor like Athena's boons tend to be about defense and like they let you reflect attacks or take less damage or Zeus's predictably his a lot of his abilities let you shoot lightning bolts or variations of that and I'm actually really partial to Artemis who her attacks let you like you you crit on people or like it increases your chances to do critical damage Uh, and also Ares because Ares has a lot of like sort of damage dealing things. Mine depend on the weapon I don't know about you guys but for the gloves I love I love a good sort of Athena uh, and Aphrodite, like where you you special like get weak on them and then just start wailing on them and deflecting their attacks back. And that's sort of my my go-to there. I love Ares with the bow, especially mm-hmm. if you get, if you can get an Aphrodite duo where you get, because their duos, your doom hits weak and you, enemies continuously. So if you can get, you know, your doom all the way up, you know, the, the things where like doom hits less frequently, but for more, and then you get doom hits continuously, suddenly you're just doing tons of doom damage. So 
those are some of my favorites but what other people like i have to speak for andy and i have watched him play it enough that i think i understand a few he's a big dasher so he loves anything that deals damage while doing dash or a backstep so i know hermes is usually a big go-to he likes the fog move that Dionysus can give him as well. And oh, then yeah. I think his favorite call is Poseidon. He uses that oh, yeah. to his advantage a lot. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I love a good Poseidon run, but my favorite call is Aphrodite. Just Hers damn. is good too. Yeah, hers yeah. is really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny also, like this is probably why I'm a, I'm, I'm a bad player because I tend to avoid Hermes because most of Hermes' abilities just sort of let you move faster, which I guess is really good when you're already really good at the game, but I kind of need all the help I can get when I play. But my follow-up question is, independent of the abilities to get, who are our favorite gods to interact with and in playing out that story? And, and what do we like about those? Oh, Dionysus, mm -hmm. hands down. I think. Hi. Hey, Zagman. Yeah, he's so chill. Yeah, he's always so happy that he's always, and he's always so positive. I, I just I really like his vibes. Zeus and Poseidon always get on my nerves. Mm -hmm. They sounded very condescending in like the yeah. the brief things that I read, and also Zagreus didn't seem to be like seemed surprised in some of the things that I watched and read. They're related like, oh, to I, his dad, so I that guess. probably doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he's like Uncle Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> which i love the snark there was so much like snark coming out of zagreus that i was just like yes i love mm -hmm. like not not like an anti-hero but like a just a snarky kind of mean sarcastic hero <laughs> at the very beginning of the game his impetus is kind of f you dad like that's yeah. kind of his energy mm -hmm. you know I he's like it. he almost a sort of like prep school kid who like trashes his room and, and, and goes out on the lamb or something like that's kind of the energy from Zagreus and the, the Zeus thing I think there's this this family rift between Hades and and his brothers in particular and the way they I think they really hit the nail on the head with Zeus where he sort of pompous and very sure of himself but also like completely kind of self-involved and like there's things that he says frequently throughout the game where like you actually know as a player that he's just acting on misinformation but just sort of assumes that things are correct or, or, you know, like always thinks he's kind of in the right. And Zeus is a person who is completely confident in their own sort of choices and their correctness and like never stops to think about it. He has sort of a white man who failed up vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. But, oh, Chaos is one of my favorites. To I was, mm. That's who I was going to say. Chaos delightful. I never, I never encountered Chaos. Oh, I'm going to have to oh, go back. Everything mm. about their vibe. Well, and I love that they were using they pronouns to talk about chaos, too. Like, I thought that was such a cool integration of, yeah, that's exactly how you would describe chaos in the language and everything like that. And I, I think that's why I liked those interactions as well. And then my other, I loved Dionysus was my favorite, but Aphrodite was a lot of fun because she's just very flirty the whole time. And it's like, but you're related, but I know that stops none of you. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few that I'm sad that they didn't include. Yeah. Mm. Like I had to ask I, again because they don't have a, yeah. Apollo, which maybe no, Apollo and Hera. They don't have Hera. And I think most glaringly, they don't have a Phaestus, right? They have, they oh, have Daedalus yeah. hammers, which do cool things mm -hmm. to your weapons. But having a Phaestus feels like it would have been a really big opportunity for a whole new set of dynamics, especially... I mean, this game is great on representation and diversity in general, but there is no disability representation. So, yeah, and, and Hephaestus is really important there. 
I'm, I'm curious too, like, because I mean, clearly, like, in in this game that is considering Hypnos and Thanatos and Chaos and and gods like that, and I think there was a deliberate choice, like, they really wanted to depict gods and deities that had never really been depicted before. Like, I'm, to my knowledge, I don't think we ever see a depiction of Chaos in modern media, and maybe Hypnos and maybe Thanatos, but not in the same way that, like. I mean, you, you, how many depictions of Zeus have there been in the last yeah, 50 yeah, years, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that, in games or movies or whatever. And so, you know, and so like for something like Chaos, like they really could could do kind of anything with the design. And, and I, I was watching in the, this no clip documentary that when they did the voice for Chaos, I think they deliberately, I think they had, oh, it's Peter uh, Canavesi, but multiple voices and it's male and female voices simultaneously. And it has that layery echo effect, which makes complete sense in going with the they, them pronouns. And with going with the fact that, like, chaos is literally, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, at some point, they probably just to say, like, somebody's got to be on the chopping block. And so, and I'm kind of glad that I think they took Artemis and not Apollo, because I feel like in a sort of maybe lazier or less thoughtful game, they would have gone with Apollo sort of without questioning. Every god, like, the more conversations you had with every god, the more you kind of get to explore their personality. And, and, then, and also, like, various relations, like... There's a rapport between Hermes and Charon, and there's a rapport between Artemis and Achilles, and all these other characters, and that, that sort of get fleshed out as you play over the game. And Zeus and Poseidon are another one, where they have this kind of like jovial blowhard uncle, but like <laughs> Donna was saying, like sort of like just a white guy who's never been wrong. <laughs> I do love Artemis. I love her. Uh, and she's always talking about what a misfit she feels like on Olympus and how she'd rather be out hanging out with Callisto and hunting. <laughs> and it's it's great. I always I always really I, I really feel that vibe. What about um Nyx? Because like she's actually one of my favorites, and she like that's another entity that we don't really think about being visually shown as an anthropomorphic person because she is one of these earlier entities, one of the first to come from chaos. But like I actually always really liked her in mythology as well as just kind of what she represented she's so her her art is so stunning mm-hmm. yeah I would say everything about with her style the, with the hair the, yes. with the, the stars under the hair and everything yeah and i love how they make her both very enigmatic and very maternal that felt exactly right and a little bit of spoilers but towards the end like in the very later game once you've reconnected with persephone there's also a rapport between persephone and nyx and the tension because again, the the family theme and then the unconventionalness of this family in in so many ways, but the sort of not necessarily tension, but this anxiety between Persephone and Nyx as Persephone as Zagreus's birth mother, but Nyx as his mother who has effectively raised him, and and, and we learn sort of spoilers for for those who haven't gotten that far in the game, but Nyx essentially brought Zagreus back to life again in an homage to to the the myth that we were talking about at the beginning and. To raise Zagreus and sort of this this tension between the he, he, Zagreus effectively has two mothers and and reconciling that relationship. There's a lot to sink your teeth into with that. I did love yeah. that. I thought it was a fun twist on how in mythology there are often two fathers. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's often with with heroes, there's the the divine father and the human father. You know, Theseus as Aegeus and 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 also Poseidon and I, you know, or Heracles who. Mm-hmm. it's funny that they like mention heracles a few times and it's like yeah but we're not going to do that in this game he's we're the jerk that came and stole our dog <laughs> um <laughs> by the way cerberus what a delight oh, i uh, love yeah. him that was almost my background <laughs> everybody's yeah. petting cerberus right you gotta pet cerberus oh, always give cerberus the pets mm-hmm. yeah the first time i saw cerberus and i was so concerned i was gonna have to fight him <laughs> although when cerberus comes running through on extremer measures hades it's just 
Mm-hmm. I haven't figured out. I don't, is there a way to dodge that move? Can you dodge his Cerberus call? I, I, I no, I don't know. I I've, I haven't run into that one, but that might I haven't played in a minute, and I haven't gotten to Hades in a while. Um, yeah, well, the on the the extremer measures pact of punishment, the one that makes the bosses harder. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so so there are four levels of it, right? There's the the one that brings in multiple Fury Sisters, and then you're fighting learning in the sort of lava river intersected room and theseus and asterius i want to talk about them later let's not talk about that yeah (laughs) should be asterion come on guys theseus and asterius eye roll um i mean theseus should get all the eye rolls because that character is yeah so delightfully cringy Uh, what a nightmare (laughs) he's he's talk about blowhards in a way Um, like he's kind of my favorite character for that reason because he's like such a great send-up of that he's so obviously the worst character that like by by such a mile that yeah Mm -hmm. that he becomes fun again a a perfectly completely convinced of their own sort of self-righteousness exactly he was almost the hero of this game well, he thinks he's the hero of this game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I love the like the trial of the gods. I love the the moment in your fight with him where you both have the gods on your side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really reminded it had it had to me a kind of Bacillity seventeen vibe where where he and Venus are facing off and, and they have their godfathers help them out in various ways. I love it. <laughs> so in the upgraded version of your fight with Hades, there is a point where Cerberus runs through and just rains destruction down oh but he's such a good boy he's a good boy he's just doing what his master told him to do yeah before we um leave tartarus there's also one other character i want to get to asphodel and talk about orpheus and eurydice but before that sisyphus if we had any thoughts on him i love how happy he is Mm -hmm. that's the thing right the the chemistry like we must imagine one must imagine sisyphus happy this is a happy sisyphus Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm He's, he's always so cheerful whenever you run into him. I think I literally saw a tweet the other day. It's just like, what if Sisyphus just one day decided not to push the boulder up the hill? And I think this is what it would look like. He's like, oh, good. The Furies aren't around at the moment because uh, you took care of them for me. Thanks, Zag. And uh, well, yeah, let's chat for a bit. So I really liked that. That it, Yeah. I mean, are they? who's really... You know, is Meg there with the whip, making sure he's pushing that boulder up the hill all day, every day? Or does, you know, he get a little chance to chat and hang out for a bit? Yeah, I get the sense that he still does some rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that seems to be, he seems to be very content with that as his lot in life. You know, just him and Boldy. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got smile. this whole, like, relationship <laughs> yeah. with, with Boldy. But you can I talk to Boldy, right? After a while? Yes, you, you can you give can Boldy give... ambrosia. Yeah. yeah, you can give Boldy nectar, <laughs> not ambrosia. Or nectar, ambrosia, excuse me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Boldy gives you boons. He'll give you plus oh five speed for the entire run or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's always when I encounter Sisyphus on a run, it's always like this breath of fresh air of like, oh, I just like need this guy in my life. Just good vibes and like positivity. And c- considering like all of And then he has bits later where he, he reflects on sort of like, I think one of the interesting aspects of this game is the way kind of death has transformed all of the, the particularly the mortal characters, which we only meet a handful but the way death has transformed them where Sisyphus has kind of had like almost a, a an awakening or a, a nirvana moment or something like that. And he's kind of had this big breakthrough, both about his life and like what he did while he was alive. And then now he now that he's in Tartarus receiving these punishments. And and Achilles and Patroclus too are also the two that seem very simultaneously informed by you know, the Achilles and Patroclus we get in, say, Homer mm-hmm. or somewhere like that, but have grown since then in a way that is both appealing and and believable. 
one of the reviews that I read said that like death is not a failure, it's a an opportunity to see old friends. And I really liked just that as a mechanic of, yeah, you get to see cool people and old friends and sort of have, you know, having any background in mythology, be like, oh, hey, I know these characters. And the idea of them kind of going on, not living, but like sort of progressing in their character development, so much fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get to sort of resolve some of their, you know, long-standing conflicts and and heal some trauma. It's really satisfying. I love that. I was so invested in in that particular and it was also cuz like that's it takes probably the longest cuz like one Patroclus is a little further in the game, so it takes mm-hmm. a while to get to him provided you even make it that far. And then True, I feel like I ran into Patroclus the least often. Yeah. And so I had fewer opportunities to kind of, because you have to sort of have conversations then when conversations get to a certain point, then you can give them gifts and that adva- that pushes the metric. So it does, it takes just a lot of runs to sort of advance that. And then when I finally kind of got that resolved, it was like so satisfying. Well, and it's, it's interesting to think about because I, it reminds me a little bit of The Good Place, but also what was very interesting about the Orphic Mystery Cult was that it was not only, I, I'm pretty sure, I know there's a few different afterlifes, but the, this is one that offered an option of reincarnation as well, I believe. I'm not allowed to tell you because I'm initiated. But. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, keep your secrets. And um, and then you forget your old life and you get a chance to start a new one. And one of my favorites is like Odysseus gets this like grand pick of whatever he, what he could want for his next life. He's like, I just want a simple life as a farmer. I don't, I don't need my name to be known. I don't need anything. Just keep it chill this time. And I think that's kind of interesting where we can see the development and maybe it seemed like death was the end and some of these things would never be resolved, but things can be resolved in the underworld and then maybe everyone gets a fresh start that way too. And Achilles in this game is also such like, in, in many ways, like I said, like informed by Iliadic Achilles or something like that, but he's so like, he, there's like a maturity to him and a sort of thoughtfulness and like I, the kind of thoughtfulness I think that comes out of, you know, maybe someone who acted very rashly and then paid the price for it, but he's very supportive and kind of sort of mentor figure because the sort of backstory also is he's the one that trained Zagreus and how to fight and he's kind of like a coach uh, mentor sort of figure, um, but also, you know, one with his own, you know, one where his expertise and his wisdom is informed by the sort of pain and trauma that he experienced while alive feels like a very different achilles <laughs> it does yeah yeah it's interesting to reflect on where this game sort of exists in myth time where it, mm-hmm. it feels like troy was very long ago but we're still somehow in the middle of the persephone myth mm-hmm. you know that that part <laughs> is unresolved mm-hmm. it's got this this time dilation effect and even when if you when you get to sort of towards the later part of the game like so we, we've been kind of hinting at aspects which is each weapon there's different kinds of weapons you get and they have different kind of sub settings for each of them and then the final aspects for each weapon alludes to a different entirely different mythological pantheon and world and something like that so like the final one for the sword is king arthur and the final one for the spear is guan yu from the uh, three kingdoms romance and Beowulf for the shield and and um, Gilgamesh for the and, and and they kind of say that like sort of part of the quest line is is to get each of those final aspects to the surface and then the idea is that those weapons sort of break out into the world so those heroes can later get those weapons to use them and like there's a little there'll be a little dialogue scene when you get to the surface with say Excalibur and Zagreus even hints he's like this sword is going to be some kind of 
king and then there's that time dilation thing because like gilgamesh is like maybe he's actually already come and gone and like maybe this is going back in time or something like that i forget who it is for the for the gun i don't know if i've actually gotten that lucifer far it. there's a oh, gun yeah, yeah. Uh, gun is one of my favorites actually <laughs> what if you get the if you get the so lucifer shoots laser bolt amazing and and the special is the sort of ball that radiates energy. And once you get boons, it does really cool things because it can, if you have Dionysus, the Dionysus special will like radiate hangover energy. <laughs> and if you get the Athena, if you get the Athena attack and the Daedalus hammer upgrade that allows you to shoot continuously, you're just shooting like a, a ray of deflection nice. ahead of you. It is, it is very effective and fun. Wow. I, I checked back over my set. So apparently, so the weapon that I picked the most was the spear, but I have the fewest amount of clears with it. And I'm, I'm most successful with the sword. Mm. For whatever What's your reason. favorite sword? Probably the King Arthur one, I think. The one the King the Arthur one, one is, is, you could take a lot of punishment. I do like yeah. the, um, I like the, I forget, the, the second one. The one where after you special, you crit more for a little yeah. while. I think um, I used to use that one a lot too. I'm trying yeah, to, it's been a, a minute. For the sort of Artemis build. Mm-hmm. My my highest heat level is with the gloves. Oh, interesting. I think I'm I, not that. I'm only at like heat three or something like that. Like I'm. Oh, not that I got. Fun. I'm at, I'm at heat thirteen with the gloves. What? Incredible. It's okay, Lush. I'm lost too because that's all the stuff Andy dealt with. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds cool. Ooh, pack your pens and notebooks because Donna's taking us to school. <laughs> uh. No, I I really like this game. What can I say? Excellent. We could all use some escapism. Yes. Oh, yeah. Truly. Yeah. Can I talk about a bigger theme? Is that mm -hmm. okay, Colin? We don't like themes on this show. What are you talking about? <laughs> I hate, you know me. You I, like, know. I hate themes. I hate talking about larger thematic resonances of, of literature and movies and things like that. Sounds terrible. Okay, fine, if you must. <laughs> Well, I really liked how this was almost like a reverse of like Demeter and Corey kind of thing. It's like mm -hmm. it's Persephone's child, but it's not a it's not a girl who's trapped in the underworld, Zagreus, and so it's like a some sort of like masculine version of the story and it's inverted, like she's not trying to well, is it inverted? Like that's also something in my head, but it feels like this cool continuation of a familiar theme of like Demeter and Persephone. You could say it's sort of a like a Hellenistic take yes! on the American <laughs> to Demeter way. where it's like Absolutely. It's not that like sequel but reflection with a twist. Element. Yes. And that I thought was actually really fun and is sort of a um a use of that myth that I have never seen before. And I feel like there are so many terrible receptiony retellings of Hades and Persephone that I was like this has a uh i don't know if a, a... no I, I absolutely hear you and we're pretty deep in the spoilers so now by this point yeah. i feel like i could say whatever i want yeah. <laughs> what i love about this game in terms of storytelling is how they handled the sexual assault aspect yeah which is that you know i, I was really concerned about that because i knew it was coming yes. obviously mm -hmm. yes and i didn't want to lose my investment in any of these characters all of whom i love and the way i mean except for you know, I, I, okay, I didn't love Zeus. And, and the way they did it was really consonant with everybody, which was that Persephone didn't like Olympus, wanted to leave. Hades was interested in Persephone. So Zeus was just sort of like here and took her and brought her to the underworld. So there is still this 
act of violence against mm-hmm. her and this this removal of her agency it's not really framed as a sexual assault mm-hmm. it seems like the the relationship that develops between her and hades once she gets to the underworld appears to be completely consensual and, and she has choice every step of the way there and she seems to really like the underworld and and elements of her existence there so i thought that that handled the story in a way that was true to it while also being extremely elegant and addressing some of the problematic aspects instead of writing around them yeah. you know because mm-hmm. he's then really angry at zeus yeah. for what he's done yeah and and they're still like want to be together there's still so much of this love in between like between them it seems at the end which i think is really cool and i i think an e- interesting way to think about it too that hearing donna talk really just brought a revelation to me is that the act of taking persephone to the underworld suddenly and it's it's had a huge impact on demeter and her the sadness she feels and like the depression she goes through it's like that really is just what is it like to lose a child suddenly to death and i'd never really thought about that before because it always just did come off as a sense of abduction and sexual assault but like it could be more of a commentary on like the the loss of a child when you weren't expecting it and because they're framing Demeter as someone who's kind of suffocating towards Persephone, like the regret that can go through that too of just like, I've lost her so suddenly and I realized the relationship wasn't what I wanted it to be. So I think they brought a lot of new interesting elements to it by framing it that way. They did that so beautifully, I thought. And there's this real mirroring between the two characters who I believe are actually played by the same voice actor. And where, you know, Demeter responds to her losing her child by cutting off agriculture and bringing this eternal winter, which gets her these cool frost powers that she can give to you. Mm-hmm. And Persephone instead goes in this other direction and she creates this tiny garden where everything is growing very abundantly and it's filled with life. Maybe the place that is most filled with life on earth or in the underworld, it seems, because of what Demeter has done. Um, but they're both really isolating themselves from everybody else. Yeah, I, I agree with with everything. I think everything. Um, I just like wanted to add because you anticipated a question. Our, our our good friend Zoe Thomas, who wanted to be here but couldn't because she's organizing a lecture at at UT right now, but had a question exactly to to what Donna addressed about the sort of how they handled the Persephone myth, and then and I agree that it's Hellenistic. I would even go as far, and this is again, I'm more of a sort of Romanist. It's very Ovidian in this approach to myth, where it sort of lives between the myths and the idea. Like when whenever there's a gap in the story that's where it builds the story or something like that and i that that i, I wanted to segue because i asked zoe before we recorded if if she wanted to have other questions while, while we had donna on and, and the other one that's kind of a segue is about what we think and particularly donna but all of us but what we think about masculinity in this game and 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 i was thinking particularly of hades as as you were just talking but but zagreus too and the way that masculinity is acted out because as I was thinking, we've been, Eli and Christy and I have been talking about a lot of sort of classical reception. It skews towards a very heteronormative, uh, conservative kind of male figure who, you know, only acts in, out of sort of vengeance or righteousness in defense of harmless people or, or to get revenge. Or, and there's sort of a certain kind of maleness that you tend to see in, in both myth receptions of myth and sort of other kinds of classical reception, like, you know, something like Gladiator or things like that. And this to me is very different. Yeah, I love this depiction of Hades where he is 
he is a kind of patriarch who I don't think that you see a lot in Mythic Perception, which is sort of the one who's doing the work. You know, yeah. that it, like every time you see Hades, he's behind his desk handling this giant volume of paperwork. And, you know, you really get the sense that he takes his responsibilities very seriously, which is something that is not always a major characteristic of Cough, Zeus, cough. gods, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of classical gods in general. And I. I think that that's really interesting because he's definitely not lacking an authority. Nobody sees him as a sort of middle manager bureaucrat. He has incredible authority and presence, but also just really shows up every day and does his job, which <laughs> yeah, I, it's very unusual. I love that. I think this game really runs the gamut of depictions of masculinity. They're all super hot. That is the one mm -hmm. thing I'll say. Every, every every character in this game is just so attractive. I will say that like Theseus though is like he is bodybuilder attractive in a way that it's not attractive anymore, but you know he's still trying to live up to the idealized masculine look versus like Dionysus right there, just chill. Like he looks good. And <laughs> yeah, no, there's an active decision that particularly to uh, Gen Z, um, Gen Z is her name, but she's the artistic head and she designed, I think, most just about all of these characters and the art for them. Uh, and I think did a fantastic job. And in the this no clip documentary I was watching, she was talking about how she sort of starts where she gets the idea of the character from the creative director and then just kind of searches around for, you know, ancient art or vase paintings or something like that, but then isn't necessarily, you know, bound to that idea. And like, I think these, this art and design really sort of rides that line really well where there's, you know, all of their attributes and things like, like Dionysus has, he's got the thyrsus, he's got the grapes, he's got the things that we would clearly recognize him as being Dionysus. But he also reads to us, I think, very prescient or modern or something like that. And all of the characters are like this. Is Aphrodite just naked? Yes. Yeah. I love that. She's got a real Botticelli's Venus thing going on. Oh, so um, good. <laughs> it is It is very good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that seems like a pretty obvious, like what, what they were going for there. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. She's just wearing hair. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for a game that has a lot of sort of winks toward sex, it, there actually is very little. There, there's a whole lot of fade to black. And, and there, there's never really anything inappropriate in it. But it, simultaneously, I would say it's a pretty sex-positive game. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can, and then there is sort of the possibility. Again, we're deep into spoilers, but with um, sort of polyamorous, or or depending on how you play the game, but with with both Thanatos and Meg, and to a lesser extent, Dusa, who is a character we haven't talked about yet. But right, I I think that I mean I, I do like her. The, the the payoff of that storyline where she decides she needs to focus on her career um, <laughs> but yeah apparently allegedly there is you can get a scene where zagreus and megara and thanatos are all talking about their relationship but i have not seen it yet and i mean you can you talk to them separately about the fact that they're both mm -hmm. totally cool with him seeing the other one and and personally i would say thanatos is hands down the hottest character in the game yeah he's he's pretty He's just great because, like, I thought the the first time I, I saw him, like, I thought it was a very antagonistic fight. And it's like, no, he's always just been like, all right, whatever, Zag, I'm here to help. And and he's actually always, like, really supportive, even if it's in, like, a brotherly, like, you aggravate me. But, like, you're my little brother, so I'm going to take care of you sort of a sitch. But, like, yeah. The, and it goes back to that whole theme of family 
where so many of these people are are Zagreus's adoptive family more than like what his true relatives are. I think speaking to that too, that family is what you make it. And I thought that was a really cool message to come out from this as well. Yeah. The creators were talking a little bit about the the, the idea for Thanos is that he's almost like a gentle aspect of death, like a sort of easy, or not an easy necessarily, but a sort of like a calm guiding hand that is going to take you down to the house of Hades as opposed to like scary death or menacing death or something like that. And he does have that. There is a reassurance. I mean, albeit begrudgingly, particularly at the beginning when your early encounters with Thanatos are kind of, there's like an, a layer of annoyance or something like that. But also, like, he's also, like, a deeply dependable character, which is kind of what's so in, in appealing about him. And he does have, he has a little bit of that, like, sort of, like, Nick Carter, like, middle part kind of move going on. <laughs> yeah. I also think someone was watching Soul Eater, which is an anime, because the scythe has a little eye in the end. It's like, were they watching <laughs> this old anime called Soul Eater where they have people, and they're, they are, um, they're, oh, I forget what, the, uh, like, uh, Shinigami themselves, and then they have, like a partner that turns into their weapon to collect souls and scythe is one of the main ones so it's like i'm pretty sure someone must have been watching this anime when they designed thanatos because it's there <laughs> i swear he has a very yeah his hair too he has a very anime look i see it um, yeah in terms of the masculinity question that we were just thinking about it it just popped into my head that like having a a like nice reliable death character is a very i would say like a non-masculine version of death that seems like very calm and not aggressive in any way um that i would maybe i think like seeing like the images of aries who is um mm -hmm. also like that more maybe more aggressive does he say something like he's also a a student of death or mm -hmm. he says something like that as well I like Aries a lot, so yeah, I, I would say in this game, positive masculinity and and I mean, just positive character development in general is is really about taking your responsibilities seriously. And you know, for for all for the male characters we've been discussing, and and ultimately for Zagreus, this game has hands down the most satisfying ending of any roguelike. It is the best because ultimately the best thing that can happen to you in a roguelike is you win and then you start off at back at the beginning, right? And I, and I was really worried about what was going to happen, how they were going to keep this premise where, you know, he's trying to escape from the house. And again, we're deep in spoiler land here. You know, it, it ends up with him where Hades hires him on as a, like a white hat security consultant. You know, you're, you're just going to keep mm -hmm. breaking out, but now it's your job and you're making, help make, helping make the underworld a better place. It, it's so good. I saw an interview with Greg Kasavin where he talked about specifically that concern, like of all the parts, they were especially concerned about getting the ending right. And he kind of vaguely alludes to like certain TV shows that maybe dominate HBO for a couple of years and then end in a certain way that sort of retroactively, you know, uh, colors people's perceptions of the show as a whole. Not that I don't think this game was really in any great danger of falling to, into that, but but of really getting the ending right. And I think, again... Donna just said sort of perfect like the genre is you end up at the beginning and this is it's almost like in um like a it's like a sort of mythic trope in, in a lot of ways or I'm thinking of the Indian epic that I'm blanking on but where you basically just come back to your old life but with like a renewed sense of purpose like Wreck-It Ralph or something like that <laughs> where like that's kind of the Wreck-It Ralph arc where like he comes back to his old job but now he's like I get why I do this I am important for doing this and like this is important and 
you know, we, we've, we've built it up. That's actually, that's a really good comparison. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, that's my that's my thesis right there. Uh, uh, <laughs> Hades is Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, but. Amazing. I wanted to go off that question a little bit because I was I was talking to a student today about depictions of Hades because Hades was intentionally demonized in Christianity as part of the transition from paganism to other religions, and he's now having a. Uh, revitalization that is really portraying him as not that bad of a guy. And I was wondering, like, what do you guys think about that tendency to, especially because the Greeks thought of him, like, they don't speak his name because it's dangerous to do so. And it's like, you don't talk about him. So we barely have any myths about him even um, as a result of that. So what do you guys think about finding new ways to portray Hades that aren't just making him a villain out and out? It is very rare. I think that the the one that a lot of people will think of is probably like the Disney Hercules model, which is about as far from this as you could possibly get. And and I think that the distance there is in part because we are so lacking in any kind of culturally hegemonic depiction of what Hades should be. So you could sort of do whatever you feel like. Yeah, I I think about it a little bit like it almost seems like a natural sort of progression of of art and storytelling to really come want to come back and, and re take a second look at you know villains or, or just characters that they get maligned and sometimes i think it's maybe unwarranted like i don't think nurse ratchet really kind of warrants like a whole series for herself but on the flip side like my particular one of my interests sort of broadly is the way we, we come back to monsters and monstrosity in the way I think in the last couple of years, especially, I'm thinking Shape of Water as like kind of the mm-hmm. pinnacle of this, but really taking a second look at like like monstrous characters. And this game does that too with with Asterius, the Minotaur, who really gets sort of fleshed out as as a character. So I think in one day it sort of seems like a natural arc of sort of storytelling to really want to come back and like, well, like let's really look again at Hades and and you know what what is he like or was he not like and you know, are we pinning fears on him or, or maybe maybe we can see in him this actually this this sort of younger brother who kind of does all the work and, and feels a deep frustration and resentment towards his older siblings who are just kind of coasting along, uh, no pun intended, with Poseidon. Isn't Hades the oldest brother, though? Because Zeus is the youngest. He's oh, the last you're right, born. actually. I yeah. stand. Yeah, I stand corrected. Yeah, the, the youngest and then the the oldest yeah, and then and then yeah. the first yeah yeah where the exactly. yeah, the brother yeah. the brother that feels sort of resentment for his kind of coasting or his brothers that, that go along and like donna was saying the the, the guy who's going to do the work and kind of really yeah is is there in a in a reliable way and i think i lost my thread but um i'm sorry no but i, I also i think it may be this might be going being a little over generous to prescription but maybe it's just a jar a larger sort of cultural sort of pushback against like a hegemonic you know, maybe prescriptively Christian worldview or something like that, where the devil and death are bad or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's purely speculative on my part. Well, I, I also think that there has been a, a bigger trend when you say like Shape of Water, but even before that, like Twilight making vampires sexy and like romanticizing. Vampires are sexy. I mean, <laughs> yes, obviously. But <laughs> well, I mean, even further back to like Interview with the Vampire, those were sexy vampires, but they were also. Yeah. Inhumanized in so many ways and still very dangerous. And I think that that is is always a line that really intrigues people. I think of shows like Dexter or Hannibal, where it's like these very, very intriguing 
dangerous characters? Like, is Hades a, still a dangerous god? Probably, yes. But it's like, are we still, are we like, who are we supposed to be rooting for? I think it sort of depends on the yeah. telling. But Hades doesn't, Hades doesn't kill people though, right? I mean, right, Hades yeah. doesn't, all Hades does, Hades is just a manager. He's the one who handles what happens <laughs> yeah. after you die. He is, mm-hmm. He's not responsible for mm-hmm. any of yeah, arguably the Olympians have more more say in who ends up dead than Hades exactly. does. Yeah. I think, to my knowledge, their body count is considerably higher. Considerably. Uh, much. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, technically, Demeter wins, I think, in terms of body count, if she's literally letting everyone die of starvation. So, well, I, I wonder, too, if that's just because we've been talking in one of my classes a lot about, like, acts of mass killing is based on dehumanization and like i try to make the arguments like we call people who commit atrocities like that monsters to make us feel better that like they're not human either but when we revisit them and we do start to unpack the humanity it allows us to really consider yes it is human to do these most extreme things and we can't we can't separate ourselves from that so maybe that's also a little bit of it is trying to find the humanity to recognize that even all humans are capable of some of the worst things that can happen. I feel like there's something we're missing, like something big that that we have yet to talk about, or someone big. The learning Hydra. Uh, oh, Eurydice uh, and Eurydice. We never really you, got yes, to her. Yes, yeah. Orpheus and Eurydice. There mm-hmm. we go. Asphodel. That was it. Yeah, Asphodel. That's right. Well, first of all, Eurydice is just stunning. That character mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. I, I keep coming back to that and how beautiful everything in this game is. But but the the way they they made her her hair is she has this natural hair but it's also trees it's just gorgeous and oh yeah we could talk about race in this game that would be i think a yeah. big thing that we have not talking mm-hmm. we have not talked about i think that eurydice man i love running into her partially because i i think that her bonuses are the best bonuses yeah. mm-hmm. uh you know sisyphus gives you kind of boring bonuses because it's still sort of the beginning of your run that's just like more health more, more money money and yeah. by the time you get to patroclus normally I mean, for me, it's I, I, I often will only choose Patroclus of the two options if I'm low in a death defiance. Yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So, but Eurydice has has the most fun ones. Ones that upgrade your boons, or I often choose the one that makes future boons have higher rarity. Mm-hmm. I just love her singing, like that that song as you like first walk in, and it's like, oh, this is really pretty, and I. I to go with just the music in general, like the guitars and everything they had, I I spent a summer digging on Crete and we got to listen to a few like um, actual musicians from the area performing on traditional Cretan guitars. And I'm like, it was so reminiscent of that. And it was that was a really cool, subtle aspect to the game of like, oh, this is actually what I would hear in Greece music wise if it was like modernized in some level. And I thought... Yeah, going to her space every time is like, I tell Andy, it's like, can you just go take a break for a minute and let me enjoy the singing? Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. And I love, I love Orpheus's take on it, which you get later on. And then much later, you hear the two of them singing in a duet together. And just the, the, the Orpheus basically openly says, like, Eurydice wrote, like, a lot of my songs. Like, she is not just, like, the muse. Like, she wrote that. the song. Yeah, but didn't get any credit for it. Orpheus, is he's a lot of fun, too. I mean, he, he's... Just kind of his like, like he's so like wraith-like almost. He's still kind of like, he's like wasting away. And he's, his sadness also is also very like, when you first get him in the court, he doesn't want to play. And 
it's hard almost for me to articulate sort of because I just kind of like I keep coming back to like yeah I like this I like this I like this it's all good and I'm trying to like find something more intelligent it's so much easier to be critical and to be to have that sharp critical lens on mm-hmm. things when you're when you're talking about why they're bad yeah when you when you when there's something that you love it's just you're just like yes I just love what they did yes. here everything everything here just speaks to me mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's my jam well, we could um, we could talk about race because I think I was so surprised when Athena popped up and she's black, right? Black, yeah, Athena. black Athena. That was so I cool. I was like, awesome. Yes. <laughs> there seems to be just so much diversity. Just everybody is a little bit different in a way that seems so realistic. That got a lot of press when the game came out. And I thought that the everybody at Supergiant handled it very well, which was to be like, yeah. Of course, of you know, course. Just to, to not to not treat it like it was a big deal or a huge choice that they were making. Yeah. Um, and and I, I believe that what they said was that these are the Greek gods, not because they are ethnically Greek, but because Greece is where they were worshipped. And, and we know that a lot of these gods were imported from mm-hmm. various other places. And it absolutely makes sense for many of them to look, you know, but just the very the like the variations of people like ran an entire spectrum, which is yeah. so cool. I thought that was really interesting and bold. You know, having having just like specifically Black Athena, right, is, is a mm-hmm. is a bold and in your face choice yeah. about how you're going to engage with with race and the fact that it it's not commented like in the game, it's not commented. It's just like oh, I know like, and that's just it. You know exactly who it is based on all of the actual things that you would use to identify the gods, like the Thyrsus with Dionysus. It's like that is skin color was never going to indicate to you who someone was. It was their other aspects, and I think that goes unsaid. And the same with Troy Fall of a City. It's like, you know who Achilles is once he starts fighting and whooping on everyone. Like, that doesn't matter. There was, I don't know if, if uh, either you follow, but there was a sort of maybe a hubbub, I guess, for lack of a better word. But so uh, there was recently a trailer for the new God of War game. And then there was sort of towards the end of a trailer, there's a reveal that one of the characters, I think it's Anger Broda from Norse mythology. And then she, she's a black character. And as you can imagine, people made a stink on the internet and then the creators were like nobody you know nobody looked twice when the giant snake talked or there was a dwarf who was blue and it's, <laughs> it's very telling when like appeals to sort of authenticity which is sort of in many ways when we're talking about myth is a laughable concept because it's all sort of you know carte blanche like you can do whatever you want it's myth that's the whole point it's your playground play in it and appeals to authenticity tend to get only get rolled out to further some kind of like white supremacist angle or something like that but I think this game is does a wonderful handling of it, where it, it in a way that it's almost like unquestioned. Like I don't question, or why would I question what any of these characters look like? Because it all just feels so natural and lived in, and, and it works so well in the in the game as a whole. Something that you said, Donna, back at the very beginning of our conversation was just the kind of joy and amusement, or just happiness that sort of goes into the use of mythology here. I really really enjoy is I feel like it would be so easy to take this like in a very dark, serious, gritty, sad way. Um, Mm. And there are certainly like very, you know, dark and serious tropes through this. But I, I also really appreciate just like the kind of joy that obviously comes through in these characters. Yeah, I think that that was one of the reasons why I bounced off initially was because I thought it was going to have that gloominess to it and I also wasn't sure initially what to make of the soundtrack although it really grew on me 
but but initially i was like whoa this is a lot the sort of hard rock as you are fighting <laughs> you know, through, through hell but you know it, literally it, you know we're, we're talking about my first run with his escape or you i i one of the things that turns me off the most in video games is a sort of just like gloominess and mm. it might be because of gestures vaguely all around uh <laughs> that that i want to have an element of brightly colored escapism and joy and to have things really fall together in a really satisfying way right that's that's why we play games in part i think is, is there, there are these manufactured worlds where you can make things click and tell myths <laughs> yeah so when when i saw what they were really doing and how how fun and joyful it was that totally changed my feeling about it i mean that might be the note to end on i'm not unless yeah. we've got donna's like let me the hell out of here <laughs> <laughs> no this it is it is such a delight to be able to come in and talk about something that i love doing and that makes me happy because I feel like I think I've only been on podcasts before talking about white supremacists and their use of plastic. <sighs> yeah, which I'm sure gets very, very. It's a real bummer. This is this is, the, yeah. this, this is probably the first podcast I've been on at least in a long time where nobody's asked me how to solve the problem of internet toxicity or like the <laughs> radicalization of, oh of young men online. And it's like, if I had the answer for that, don't you think I would have already told people? <laughs> you think I've been I've been saving it for this podcast? I, I do want to legitimately want to know how to get to Heat Thirteen though, because I've yet to crack that. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay, I mean, definitely. Like I feel like getting through those early heat or get, getting to the end, mm. switching to stubborn defiance really helps. But then switching over to death defiance, switching back to death defiance and having the three death defiances really helps. I have a strong preference for faded persuasion over faded authority. The one where okay. you can re-roll the boons that they offer mm. instead of re-rolling what the, the room reward is. Yeah. All right. Time to waste. I think you, you're, you're like two seconds away to just being like, get good. Uh. No. no. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to update you on our all of our progress. If I, For sure. When I actually start playing. <laughs> Anytime you want to send me a message, like I just had an incredible, you know, Artemis Zeus or whatever run. I can't, hard to even imagine this too. But, you know. Yeah. No. Yeah. I would, I would love to hear it. We got to come back for this Eli plays Hades for the first time oh, Twitch God, right? run. <laughs> Most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to Eli. <laughs> yeah. Dying is just going back home. That's, exactly. that's all it is. And you pet it's the puppy true. and it's, it's fine. I'm going to pet the puppy <laughs> yeah, a lot. And, and like letting Megara kick your ass a few times really mm -hmm. improves yep. your relationship with her. Mm -hmm. so, I, I know I said before that Thanatos is the hottest, but she is. She's definitely the hottest. So it's, it's tough. I'm, I, I skew slightly towards Camp Megara for it's, it's the voice acting, I think, particularly that does it, where she just says something and it's like, Ugh. Um. <laughs> but her flirting style, also, I just, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's also part of it. It's, it's a tad aggressive, um, <laughs> if that's your thing. I love a good frenemy or lovers to enemies. I don't know what the. It's, it's kind of both. It's, it's both and. Yeah, I think. both and. <laughs> yeah, rivals. Mm -hmm. A Rivals, little BDSM with the yeah. the whip in the background, just like I loved all the little subtle BDSM jokes going on too. It's like yes, talk about the whip some more. <laughs> Donna, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is so fun. Yeah, I 
I'm always happy to talk about this game. Yeah. Uh, well, we, if if so, um, Donna, if people want to find you or read more by you on the internet or elsewhere, where where can they look? Goodness, I'm not writing that much for the internet right now. Um, I actually I'd been considering writing about video games, which is partially why I started going getting back into Hades. I actually had been I'd been considering writing an essay about why. I was shocked that Hades was not my jam. And then when I, I was like, okay, but I'm gonna have to give Hades a little more of a try before I write this. And then shocker, it was my jam. Uh, but I, I am working on a book, but it will not be out for a long time. So I guess just find me on Twitter, at Donna Zuck. Thanks for joining us, you guys, on this episode of Movies We Dig. Be sure to rate us on iTunes and Spotify, Amazon, all the places where you can find your podcast. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Thank you again, Donna. Thanks, Donna. Thank you.